welcome to episode 26 of the Pi Podcast, the show by members of the Raspberry Pi community for the Raspberry Pi community. I'm Joe. And I'm Isaac. And coming up, we've got an interview with Oliver Quinlan, who is the Senior Research Manager at the Raspberry Pi Foundation. And we uh, will be talking to him about all sorts of things that are going on kind of behind the scenes. It's the, the stuff that you don't normally hear about at the foundation. So uh, stay tuned for that. But first, let's do some news. And the first story we have in the news is that there is now a new scratch book that's been released. So in the latest addition to the Magpie Essentials book collection, it, the book has been entitled Learning to Code with Scratch. Uh, it contains 13 chapters covering all the aspects of Scratch. And you can get this book as a free PDF or you can download it through the Magpie Android or iOS apps. And considering how many Raspberry Pis are out there being used for educational purposes, purposes I believe this book will definitely be a better seller or a better download than the other books before it. Yeah, I mean, Scratch is such a great way for kids to get into coding and learn the concepts in the first place. So the more resources for that, the better. And coming from the Magpie, which is the official magazine of the, the Raspberry Pi Foundation, you know this is going to be good. Yeah, I might download it, but uh, I haven't used Scratch now no when, so we'll see. But uh, if any of our listeners do download it, do like it, or have any critiques about it, please let us know. Yeah, so the next one is the, the first official hardware release from Kodi, the XBMC Foundation, and it's not a computer, it's a case for the Raspberry Pi. Now, it's a very cool-looking case that's made of aluminium and acts as a heatsink, and it's 1995 uh, that's in dollars. It's about 20 quid as well. And they're kind of presenting this as the ideal way to put your Pi into a case and make the, the ultimate little... Cody Media Center, which uh, looks very cool to me. I, I kind of need a case for one of my pies, so I'm, I'm tempted by this. Uh, yeah, you should buy it. One thing, uh, real quick, is that it looks like a percentage of the sales will go towards cancer research. Now, the exact amount and the exact research has yet to be specified, but that's a good thing to donate the money towards. I, I think this shouldn't be of any surprise that the first official hardware by Cody is a Raspberry Pi case because... I'm sure that the interest in Cody has skyrocketed since the creation of the Raspberry Pi. I mean, the first reason I got into the Raspberry Pi realm was from reading an article about how to create a media center with the Pi using OpenELEC. And once I did that, I started reading more about OpenELEC, which then turned me on to Cody and then henceforth and so on. So it, you know, it should be no surprise. I think the case, I totally agree with you, Joe. It looks amazing. It's got little ventilation slots on the top. It's only 1995. I'm thinking about getting one. I don't really have a need for it, but it just looks cool. And I like Cody. So I like to support them. So I'm really thinking about getting one as well. Well, I don't know if I should admit this, but I'm actually sitting here watching France versus Iceland, you know, the European football championships are happening at the moment. And uh, I'm watching it using a Raspberry Pi, using um, OpenELEC. Nice. Uh, <laughs> with Cody, that is. And I, I have been using Cody loads lately. I've really uh, found it to be just the best way to view a lot of media. And uh, since I don't have a TV, the only way to watch live TV for me is Cody now. So, uh, yeah, this is uh, really, really attractive to me. Oh, yeah. Uh, now, now we're starting to get off topic. But I love OpenELEC, but I love Cody more because it's not so pre-configured as OpenELEC. But I have watched almost all my Star Trek episodes through Cody. So it has been a godsend. I could care less about whatever soccer is currently going on. But <laughs> how, how I get my Star Trek does matter to me. And Cody gets that to me. And it can get it to you, too. And if you do decide to use Cody, you should get this case. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's football, by the way, not soccer. <laughs> Football, yeah, that's it. Uh, this next story, it looks like the Magpie, I think this is in the latest issue of the Magpie, 
They did. And ever, I say it's a couple of issues ago. It's now, a couple of issues ago. I didn't. I saw they had it right beside the latest issue, and it confused me. But so it looks like they did a write up on Ubuntu Mate, and overall, I would say it's a positive review. And I mean, they mostly compare it to Raspbian because, well, I mean, what else you <laughs> compare it to? Yeah. And uh, it looks like they really just had good things to say about it, and they did some speed tests showing it versus Raspbian, and it looks like Raspbian for the most part was. Faster, but but this makes total sense because Raspbian, uh, one, it's not a full-blown OS, and also it's just, I mean, uh, that kind of explains why Raspbian looks and feels the way it does because it's an educational OS. It's not there to do everything that Ubuntu Mate could do. Now, one big point they brought up, because I'm a big fan of Ubuntu Mate, that they brought up against Ubuntu Mate is that there's no Mathematica version for Mate, and if there is, but you have to pay for it. And there has been a few people I've talked to that use Raspberry Pi. Mathematica is not something I use a lot of, but there are other people out there that I've heard really praise the Pi because they have that immediately out of the box. So I guess that would be one one big glitch, I guess, against Ubuntu Mate. Yeah, but I would say Ubuntu Mate is um, more of a, a general purpose OS, isn't yep. it? Whereas Raspbian's really figured towards the digital making and the education stuff. Whereas if you want just a general desktop OS, then Ubuntu Mate is probably the way to go because it looks more modern. It looks like a proper OS, if you know what I mean, rather than just Raspbian's basically a tool, isn't it, to get a few jobs done. Yeah, I think Raspbian, if you were to teach some kids at school, like here's a Raspberry Pi, you would definitely use Raspbian over Ubuntu Mate. Because if you do Ubuntu Mate, you have to do a lot more explaining about what's going on versus Raspbian, which, you, like you said, it just does the purpose of like a one-hit wonder kind of attitude. Uh, most times when I'm turning people onto the Raspberry Pi, I will get them into Raspbian first. And once they get the hang of all that and want to like explore more and see the real power of the Pi, immediately Ubuntu Mate is what I turn them onto. Yeah, and one thing that they don't mention in that write-up, that kind of review of uh, Ubuntu Mate 16.04, is that Raspbian is developed by someone working full-time on it for the foundation, whereas Ubuntu Mate is a community project that's done in people's spare time. So considering how close it is, it's not bad for a community effort. No, yeah, it's totally right. I, I really like it, though, that we have Mate and Raspbian to choose from. And I feel, after reading this article and writing up a little bit about it, I feel like it is now time for a third OS to make its, its appearance because I love Monte, I love Raspbian. They both do an excellent job, but I just realized that we only have really two good choices currently if you want a solid OS for the Raspberry Pi, and I think a third one should be on its way. There is stuff like Manjaro, I believe, is out there and other things, but I feel like there needs to be a clear third coming in the future. Well, there's always Risk OS. <laughs> Seriously, it runs so quickly. It's amazing. It makes Linux look terrible. But then again, it's not as full-featured, to be fair. <laughs> you, you actually have me speechless. I can't say anything. I've, I've missed with it once. It was like, never again will I go back to elementary school computers and what they look like. So I'm done with <laughs> RiscOS. Fair enough. Okay, let's uh, let's move it on then. And um, in our last story, we have... A new sensor board, and this is made by Matrix Labs, and they created what they, uh, in quotes, it's called the Matrix Creator, and it's an IoT board for the Raspberry Pi 3, and it's loaded with sensors, uh, wireless radios, and a mic array. Now, the Creator lacks several of what is known as the Matrix key pieces, such as uh, processor, camera, uh, GPS, Wi-Fi, and Bluetooth, but what's left over 
is what I just mentioned, which is a suite of short-range radios, uh, wireless radios, and also includes a ultraviolet detector and a really, uh, what looks really nice, a microphone array. Now, when you buy this, which is not, it's, this board is $99, it will not come with a Raspberry Pi 3, but if you think about it, when you combine it with the Raspberry Pi 3, then all those missing components that I just talked about are available on the Pi 3, so that all becomes available to you. And it looks like they've kind of gearing this board toward developers who are building drones, robots, um, smart homes, uh, about everything that is the IoT. So I don't know who they're saying they're trying to exclude out of this because I feel like that's all that the IoT really is. And uh, one other thing to talk about with it is that it's running on Node.js and JavaScript. So if you know how to code in JavaScript, then you should be fine to purchase this board and take off into your own IoT project. Yeah, it looks like it's basically combining quite a few different hats into one isn't it? it it looks really unique because it's it's like a giant circle you know and i'm not for sure how big it is it looks like it's almost the size of a little over the size of the palm of your hand and i would i would love to see if any of our listeners do purchase this i'm really thinking about getting it i have no idea what i would do with it but i would love to uh check it out see what it could do and if any of our listeners do decide to buy this and build a project please let us know because i would like to see this thing in action yeah i'm sure there'll be plenty of videos of it soon available to watch yeah i think that i think the shape of it's very unique so i'm curious to see what people make with it but i think it in the end i think it'd be really nice i don't know how it's going to plug into the pi 3 and how that looks in the end but we'll see and so you have not been on the show for a couple of episodes isaac you've been away doing real life stuff but you have been listening and you had some comments on um the interview we did with sway grantham yeah so i recently listened to the sway interview and she brought up two things that had never occurred to me that I think are on the horizon need to be figured out sooner rather than later. Uh, one is she made mention of how scared some teachers are of the pie since they know zero tech concepts. And that's very that really struck me because um, I see a lot of other jobs. Well, we'll say car makers, you know, like robots are replacing them and whatnot. You know, assembly line kind of factory jobs, of course, will get replaced. But if you're a teacher, it would be very scary to suddenly you realize that now you must, you know, tech is coming to your realm now. Like the pie is coming not to replace you, but I'm sure that there, the pie could replace a number of people. Like Sonic Pi is a good example. It's teaching kids music. I don't need to pay a music teacher some all this. Now that's kind of far-fetched, but that's just this attitude of there could be a group of teachers that re, you know resist what the Raspberry Pi brings to the stage because they, one, don't learn it and it scares them very much. So... Uh, you know, that's that was really crazy to me when she brought that up. I just never thought about that. And then two, even, and I think this is the bigger deal that I think is just now really hitting home with the Raspberry Pi uh, Foundation, I mean, is that even after you teach an educator how to use the Pi, there is still no standard curriculum for how it should be taught. So the Pi Foundation now is doing Pi Academies. They teach, you know, 40 teachers at a time, and then they send them out into the real world. But then after that, there's no... Way, I mean, I guess the, the one I'm getting at is here is if you have, and this is what Shway brought up, was you have a certain age group, you introduce them to scratch, but then at what point do you take them up a notch from that? Uh, you know, like, how do you get kids? It's one thing to get kids that are four, you know, or not four, but like five, six, seven, eight, whatever the age, interested in the programming. But when they reach 12, 13, can, is it still, will you still be able to use the Pi to teach them? That's what I'm getting at. I think that it depends on the kids that you're teaching. I, I'm not sure if you could 
necessarily have a, a strict curriculum that works for all groups of kids? Well, um, in college, the way they were doing computer science was is they and they teach you like there's like you know like level one and then level two. And I don't know if the Pi Foundation is teaching these people that because now it's up to the educators to bring up level one and level two. And that's one thing for a college professor who does nothing but computers full time to be able to know to teach that kind of stuff, how to break that off. But how do you get educators who don't know that realm to be like, hey, I got them into level one. You got to do level two now and do level three. And then how do you not exhaust that to like, hey, hopefully these kids now will go out in the real world and start making their own programs and whatnot. It's just a. I think there's just these are just ideas that kind of hit home on me that I was like, wow, I hadn't thought about neither one of these. Yeah, I think the thing is that this stuff is so new. Teachers have only really been teaching coding for a couple of years now. And, you know, this will come, I think, standardization and through things like Pi Academy, we'll get to a point where teachers are more comfortable with the Pi and more comfortable with teaching coding concepts. And, you know, it will work itself out. But it's such a, a new thing right now that... The, it's not really a surprise that it's a little bit up in the air and it's, you know, people are just kind of finding their feet at the moment. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. And that's why I kind of brought that up. And I feel like the the foundation is starting to realize this too, that, hey, that's awesome. We're doing Pi Academy, but we got to do Pi Academy part two, which is get those same educators back in and teach them a little bit more. You know, how do we, you know, take the kids a step further now? How do we take them this way? You know, I feel like there needs to be like we need to get more education for the educators is what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, I'm sure we'll come back to this uh, subject in future shows, but uh, for now that'll do it for the news. Uh, let's move on to the interview. We are now joined by Oliver Quinlan, who is senior research manager at the Raspberry Pi Foundation. So welcome, Oliver. Hello. Thank you. So apart from that little bit of detail, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself, please? Yeah, sure. So, um, well, I got into this area of digital making through lots of, of hobbies um, that I've had myself. I've been involved in um, music production and electronics and, and things like that and, and, and DJing and just getting creative with technology for as long as I can remember, actually. Um, I can remember making games with a program called The Games Factory in the 90s with my brother when I was, when I was a child. Um, but, uh, then I went on to become a school teacher and did lots of, lots of things with interesting ICT in primary schools in Birmingham. Um, and then I worked at Plymouth University training teachers, um, and then went over to manage some research programs at Nesta, the UK, uh, innovation think tank. And, um, then that led me to Raspberry Pi through doing a report, um, just a bit over a year ago, about um, young digital makers across the UK. So uh, I really enjoyed doing that research and finding about out about the really exciting stuff that was that young people were getting involved with. And um, Raspberry Pi Foundation just seemed like a really great opportunity to to carry on um, helping with that area, basically. So for those who don't know, what what is Nesta all about? Um, so Nesta used to be um, sort of a arm's length government body, uh, one of the so-called Quangos, um, and it was spun out as as a charity when the co coalition government came in in 2010. But their um, focus is on bringing great ideas to life. So it's finding things which are innovative and good work that's going on in various areas. They tend to focus on um, 
sort of uh, social programs, public service, lots of things to do with technology, We're doing a lot of work in health as well, um, and doing research, running grant programs, um, helping people to understand innovative new things that are happening and, and give them the, the funding to grow those ideas and, and test them as well. Um, and I think they've done a lot of growing, but um, they're doing more and more testing. And some of what I was doing was running research projects, looking at different types of technology in schools and what the impact of that was. And were you working with Philip Colligan at Nesta then? I was, yes. Not not very directly, I have to say. So when I started, Philip was um, in charge of the Innovation Lab, which was the department that I was part of. And then he uh, became Deputy Chief um, Executive. So, um, yeah, I, I, I knew Philip. I got to know him quite well, although I was working in kind of a slightly separate team, really, than, than his. He was way, way above me, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and what brought you to Nesta from, from teaching? Well, I'd been, um, I'd been training teachers and, um, I'd been just getting more and more interested in research, really. Um, so I had, uh, done a lot of work. I did my master's thesis looking at teachers, um, getting involved in online communities for professional development, um, and blogging and, and, and getting involved in Twitter and, and things like that. Um, and I just found the area of, how technology influences people's learning really, really interesting. Um, and uh, I came to a crossroads, really, because I was a, a lecturer at the university, and it was uh, once I'd finished the master's, it was basically like decide what I'm going to do for my PhD. Um, and I was sort of faced with the prospect of working really, really hard for quite a few years on something that was probably likely to be quite small scale, Um as is the nature of education PhDs. Um, and then I spotted the Nestor opportunity, which was actually working on research that was much bigger scale um, and was a bit more varied as well. It wasn't just doing the research. It was actually managing some teams of people who were doing different types of interventions. So I just thought the scale of it was really attractive, actually, working with, I think I worked with, um, I think I worked with several hundred schools in the time that I was there and Lots of kids got to benefit from stuff as a result, and we got to advance the understanding of, of how technology works in schools a bit as well, which was exciting. And so moving on to the Raspberry Pi Foundation then, what exactly is a senior research manager? It sounds like you're not researching kind of new components and things for the hardware. It sounds like more what people are actually doing with the Pi's. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I'm kind of working this out because it was a new role in the middle of January when I came on board. Um, so a really exciting role in that um, there were some really important things that people wanted me to do, but there's also quite a lot of, of building that role and working out what it all means. But yeah, I'm based in the, the foundation rather than trading. So I'm certainly not researching um, kind of new new technologies on a technical way. Uh, in a technical way, um, or uh, the new directions for the Pi hardware or anything like that. Although, you know, there's we work quite closely together, so when you see how things are used, then that influences everybody. But um, my main role, basically, is to to build research into the work that we do as a foundation. Um, and there's various different levels to that, really. And I've, I've just been working on a a strategy for for research at the foundation, and um, it's the first time I've sort of really talked to someone outside the organisation about it. So it's uh, it's quite exciting. 
And um, basically, it starts at the lowest level of the work that we're doing, the educational work that we're doing at the foundation and the community work that we're doing, drawing on the research that's out there that exists. So being really well informed and being able to make decisions about what we do um, to have the, the biggest impact on the world possible. Um, and it's that's quite interesting in itself because uh, it's a really new area in lots of ways. It's, it's an area with, with a real pioneering spirit. Um, but there is quite a lot of research out there about um, use of technology in education, about teaching and learning programming, um, about children learning in exploratory ways, and not just children but adults as well, um, and about learning through play, learning through making, all these kinds of things that, that people at the foundation really care about. So at its first stage, it's drawing on that kind of work that exists and helping people to, to use it to shape what they do to try and make it as, as good as possible. Um, at the next level, it's then kind of evaluating what we do and figuring out what we're what we're trying to achieve by the different programs that we run and that's really broad it's it's quite exciting because there's so many different things we are doing as a foundation um but being really clear about those objectives and then figuring out ways to understand how well we're doing that um i hesitate to say measure because i think um, there's a lot of work in evaluation where people start talking about measuring things and then it can get quite limited and, and quite difficult. But to really confidently understand how much impact we're having and then and how we could have even even more or even deeper or even even better um, impact. And then the the sort of next level is actually running some of our own research, getting involved in the wider kind of community of research that's going on in in the areas of computing education, digital making, um, all the kind of things that, that we care about. Um, actually trialing some different things, um, finding out more about what people are doing in the field, because there's loads of educators, teachers, community leaders doing really interesting stuff and trying things out. And sometimes it's working and sometimes it isn't working. And uh, we want to try and help people to learn from from all of those examples, really. So it covers quite a lot of ground, um, but fundamentally I'd say it's about making sure that we are using research both as a source uh, to draw from and as a method for us to use to make sure that, that we're reaching our mission as a charity. And why do you think the foundation decided it needed a, a research function rather than relying on the um, research that was already out there? Um, in the last few years, I've been really involved in a lot of research around education and around teachers. And um, there's a huge gap between a lot of the very robust research that gets done and the practice of what happens in the field. And, and education is the field I know best, but I think that this is true in lots of areas. Um, that research is necessarily quite detached um, and, and tries to be very objective and practice is, is not. It's very involved and it's it's very led by kind of instinct and, and, and people who are very, very busy just doing the work and trying to do the best thing possible. And there's a big need for translation between those two areas, um, uh, getting the, the, the things that we know more conclusively from 
from academic research into a form that people can really use. And because this area is is quite new in many ways and is developing really quickly, um, then there's a need for that. I mean, to put that in more concrete terms, um, my colleagues who are running several Pycademy events a month don't necessarily have the time and space to be sifting through loads and loads of research papers looking at what's coming out. Um, but if nobody does, then we're going to miss things that are coming out. We're going to miss kind of gems of, of understanding that we could have. So that's one reason. But the other reason as well is just um, it's really important to have somebody focusing on um, on constantly questioning um, how well we're doing with stuff. And that's kind of sometimes I feel like my job is to maybe be the the person who's a bit almost a bit cynical i mean i'm not cynical i'm really excited about everything that we're doing um but to sort of put myself in the mindset of being cynical and saying well what if we're wrong about this how, how do we know that we're right about the, the way that we're doing this um how could we know that that we're right how could we potentially do things better why aren't we doing things like this and asking all those kind of difficult questions and um and it's really helpful i think to have somebody with a slightly separate perspective to be able to do that. Somebody who's not tied up in the day-to-day -day executing of things and, 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 and stuff. Um, and in some ways, I think I could probably be, you know, the most annoying person in the Raspberry Pi Foundation doing that kind of stuff, you know, constantly poking people and saying, why are you doing this? Are you sure you're doing the right thing? Um, but thankfully, I've, I've found everyone in the organisations really, really open-minded and really appreciative of, of me taking the time to, to do those kind of things and, and taking the time to, to kind of think about what the challenges are and, and what the questions are we don't yet know the answers to. So that's probably a very long-winded way <laughs> of saying it's about having somebody who can ask the difficult questions um, and, and, and be comfortable doing that without feeling like um, it's a, a bad reflection um, on, on their work if, if they don't know the answers to things, if they haven't figured out the best way to do things just yet, because we're all learning all the time. So it's kind of more questioning and confirming than being cynical? Yes, yeah. Very good. So at the Pi Party, you presented on digital making. And the, the way I have seen things going is that they're much more focused on education. So that seems a bit strange. Is it digital making within education that you're focusing on? Um, well, I mean, I think it's really broad, the work that we're doing. So the, the, the Pi Foundation, we've been through a lot of changes, even in the six months that I've been there, and, and certainly in the 12 months um, since, since Philip um, joined and um we've I, I think that's there's been a lot of change but it's brought a it's brought a kind of a focus but but also a really clear focus on breadth um so we have a lot of work that's happening within formal education and with teachers and the talk that i gave was part of the sort of education i.e formal education strand of 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 the, this work at the birthday party um but there's also lots of work going on in, in what's now the programs team, which is on things that are a bit more outside of education. So the, the work that Ben Nuttall's doing on supporting Raspberry Jam, um, coordinators and the whole community of people that, that are around that, which, um, I mean, everything overlaps, but fundamentally that's quite outside of education. Um, 
there's also lots of work happening on on uh, things for young people that are outside of formal education, like the uh, Creative Technologists program. Um, so I think one of the great strengths of Raspberry Pi is that there is a really strong community of teachers and formal educators who are involved in this, and we're doing lots of stuff to try and support them and to try and help them to to get digital making into schools and to draw on the power of the kind of maker community. Um, but there's also a very informal side to it as well. And that's really interesting. And I have to say that's an area that I have um, spent some time trying to get immersed in by going to some Raspberry Jam events, going to the birthday party, talking to people and so on. But in terms of the, the research work that I've done, um, I think that's a, a really exciting area to, to look at, how people are learning through these informal, really strong communities with all, all these really strong social links, but some quite informal kind of um, things. You know, people aren't going to Raspberry Jams to sit down and be given a learning objective and spend, uh, you know, 20 minutes doing a, a very structured activity which they then get assessed on and and get a certificate for uh it's it's way more informal than that but there's so much learning going on i'm really excited to find out more about how that's happening and then also how um how we can do things to sort of help people to um to move things forward even more you tweeted there recently about a, a survey that you were getting on uh, digital making for teenagers and people supporting them is that the thing you were alluding to earlier that you've been focusing on um well I've been, I've been doing quite a few different things um yes we've been trying to understand better what's what's already out there for teenagers i mean the the stuff that i did for the nesta report young digital makers was um had a lot of of detail on that but you know things move quickly and that was getting on for 18 months ago now so i mean that particular survey is just trying to kind of top up our understanding of what's out there and just seeing um what things are working um, and, and figuring out what things we could we could kind of do. Um, the Creative Technologists was a really interesting program for kind of the top end of that age group. Um, uh, you know, you probably describe them more as, as young people rather than teenagers. Um, it was sort of, I think, at the start of the program, 17 upwards. Um, but, yeah, we're really interested about the kind of things young people are doing in that area. And... Um, and then, you know, we can use that to think about what's what's going to happen next in terms of what we're doing. So have you seen any anything new that you can talk about at this stage from from the, the survey results? I have to say we only we only closed it on Friday. So I've started looking at it, but um, that I haven't really got anything I can share just now, I'm afraid, um, just because I haven't fully understood it myself. <laughs> but um, one of the other things that that, that I've been doing is um, a similar kind of information gathering exercise with our certified educators. Um, so there's about 700 educators now who've been through the Pi Academy program. Um, and I've been trying to find out a lot more about what they're doing. Um, so there's been a lot so far of building up some understanding of things because we, we we knew lots of about certain educators who'd worked with us but we knew there were loads of people out in their schools or we have a lot of people who are librarians as well who've been through that program um, museum edu based educators um, we knew there were loads of people doing really great stuff which we just don't know about and I think we tend to hear through the kind of social channels and 
people getting in touch with us to showcase things on, on our blog and, and so on. I think we tend to hear a lot of really exceptional stories, which are hugely exciting and I, I love finding out about them. Um, but I'm really interested in well, as well in the, the more normal things that are going on. Um, the educators who perhaps haven't done a project that's worthy of being splashed uh, around in media, um, but which are making a real difference to the young people that they work with. So, yeah, there's been lots of this kind of information gathering, trying to trying to understand a bit more about what's going on so that we're not just hearing... Well, we still want to hear about exceptional stories, but they're not the only things we're hearing about. We're hearing about the uh, the things that are more normal and also the challenges that people are having as well. So we've got that really sort of deep understanding of how people are, are doing this work in both formal education and more informally in the case of that digital making survey. Brilliant. Well, uh, time ticks on, so we'd uh, better think about wrapping this up. But if people want to find out more about you and learn more about your work, where's the best place for them to, to go and do that? Um, well, uh, we have uh, some new information coming up on the Raspberry Pi website where we're going to have much more details about different people who work there. So there's going to be, I'm, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but the about section is going to be <laughs> built out to have lots more about the individuals who work there. So go and have a look at that to find out about everyone who works with Raspberry Pi. Um, but I also have um, my own website and blog, which is at oliverquinlan.com. And um, I tend to try and blog my thoughts about things that I'm doing as I'm going along and, and questions I'm thinking about and, and stuff that I'm working on. Um, so you can find lots. I think it's nearly five years I've been blogging there. So if you really want to hear about my ideas when I was a primary school teacher, you can dig back there as well. Um, but I'll be posting some more stuff about the research strategy and the things that we're doing there really soon. Okay, well, I'll, yeah, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, so, yeah, thanks a lot for coming on and giving us your time, and uh, hopefully speak to you again at some point. Thank you. Yeah, that was a really good uh, interview with Oliver. I, I think it's I think it's not coinky-dink that he is the the stuff he talked about as a being a, the research manager there at the foundation and the stuff we just talked about with uh, the Sway interview and the issues coming up on the horizon for how best to take the pie in this direction or that. They needed someone to fill that void. And I think Oliver is heading up that void. And I think that's all. I think the foundation is starting to realize what's happening and listen to that interview. Oliver equally realizes this needs to happen as well. Yeah. As I was saying at the end of the news that everyone is finding their feet with this stuff. And that's why they created that role for him by the sounds of things so that they can get some proper data and get that data analyzed and, and realize exactly what direction they're going to go in with this education stuff. And um, also the digital making, that seems to be a bit of a um, a new aspect to it. I hadn't heard as much of that mentioned before. I know they've had a, a strong emphasis on education, but it sounds like they're concentrating on the, the jams and the, you know, the maker aspect of it as well, which it's kind of always seemed a bit unofficial before, whereas now they seem to be kind of going both ways on it. Yeah, I totally agree. And I'm uh, really eager to see what Oliver comes up with and how well the research goes. And I'm sure it'll go in a positive direction. And it's just, it's just like things are getting bigger and better all the time with the Raspberry Pi. Yeah. So with that, then we're coming to the end of another Pi podcast. If you want to get in contact, you can email show at the com or find us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, or leave a comment on the website. Thanks for joining me, Isaac, and thanks to everyone for listening. We'll see you again in two weeks with more Raspberry Pi news, interviews, and discussion. Bye, everyone. See you later.